0: As Women's History Month and Black History Month before it comes to a close, perhaps you're reflecting on your organization's month-specific initiatives to celebrate minority employees. But it's incredibly important to think about how your organization is celebrating and lifting up the voices of its employees of color, of its women employees, of its LGBTQ plus employees, the other 11 months of the year. Computer World writer, Charlotte Trubin is here with me to discuss the idea of diversity, inclusion, and importantly, the idea of belonging within the workplace. Stick around. Charlotte, thank you so much for calling in and joining me all the way from the UK. I really appreciate it. It's great that you're here. Thank you for having me, Julia. So right off the bat, I talked a little bit in my intro there about this idea of belonging. And I think we all kind of know what the word belonging means, but I'm wondering if you can define it for me within the context of a workplace.
1: Yeah, of course. So I think, I think belonging is unique to everyone and everyone will feel like they belong um, in different mm-hmm. ways. But one of the, the best definitions I've um, come across for it is feeling like you can turn up to work every day and be your authentic self.
0: That's a great point. So also in my intro, I hinted at this idea of the importance of celebrating and importantly supporting your employees the other 11 months of the year outside of whatever for whatever month aligns with their identity. It's great to celebrate them within that specific month, but it's kind of all talk if you're not working hard to do what's best by them the other eleven months of the year of the year. So I'm wondering if you can point to some specific examples of good advocacy in the tech space.
1: When it comes to DNI, one phrase that always springs to mind for me personally, um, and in the UK it's very closely associated with the suffragettes and the fight um, for the women's right to vote is the phrase deeds, not words, which I think is really important when you're kind of looking at setting up initiatives or DNI initiatives um, because it's all very good saying you're going to do something or this is how we can improve the workplace for our minority employees but actually if there's no kind of tangible outcome or you don't actually put in the work or the effort to make it happen to make the workplace more welcoming for them then you might as well not have started in the first place. Yeah I like that um, Deeds, not words. So one specific example um, I can think of is at McAfee. So their chief people officer, Chatelle Lynch has been working really hard over kind of the last four or five years to really kind of push for better equality across the company um, with a real focus on gender equality. I believe that's kind of where she started. Um, And I actually spoke to her back in 2018 and already she had loads of initiatives in place. She had unconscious bias training for all staff. She had gender-balanced interview panels to the extent where um, they wouldn't sign off on a new hire if um, a female hadn't interviewed that person, or if a male and a female hadn't interviewed that person. Um, And as a result of that, in 2019, McAfee actually achieved global gender pay parity across their whole organisation.
0: I think that's a great point and a fairly easy initiative to start and a good place perhaps to begin when companies are looking to make their, their- Workplace more inclusive because it's pretty easy to just look across your organization and controlling for things like years of experience or how long someone has been at the company and making sure that everyone is getting paid equally, regardless of gender. It's really no secret that here in the US, and I'm sure it's similar in the UK, that women are paid cents on the dollar compared to men. And it's even worse for women of color and for men of color. So it's incredibly, it's an easy initiative to implement that can be done, you know pretty it's not I'm not going to say it's just an overnight initiative but it's something that's pretty easy to start today but I also like the point that you make about interviewing and obviously where the where the job process begins is in applying and interviewing and recruitment so I'm wondering if you can discuss how employees can make the recruitment processes more equitable I know here in the U.S. um it's obviously very easy for people to recruit from the top universities, but the top universities are very often like disproportionately white, disproportionately co- people that come from wealthy backgrounds, people that can afford to pay for quite expensive degrees here in the United States. You know, you're talking sixty or seventy thousand dollars a year. It's certainly not cheap to go to university. So I'm wondering what sort of measures companies can take to make sure that they're recruiting equitably for their entry level positions, for example?
1: Yeah, like I said, there's um, some very basic things you can do internally, like um, make sure your interview panels are gender neutral, um, implement unconscious bias training, and also something that's gained a lot of traction in recent years is um, making sure your job adverts are gender neutral and that your language is inclusive and that actually you're not kind of turning people away or putting people off from applying before they've even kind of stepped through the door for an interview um but you make a really good point um about where you recruit from because although university in the UK is not quite as expensive as it is in the US um fees have tripled in kind of the last 10 years and it has Mm -hmm. put a lot of people off um kind of pursuing more traditional educational routes so something that's very popular in the UK at the moment are coding boot camps. So um, especially ones that are kind of specifically targeted at um, minority groups. So one there's one um, called Code First Girls, which offers free coding courses to women and non-binary people aged between eighteen and twenty-three. Um, and there's another really good. Um, company um, that I've spoken to in the past called Code Your Future, which specifically works with refugees, um, immigrants, and people from low socioeconomic backgrounds um, in order to help them kind of get a foot in the door of the technology industry um, because they otherwise might be shut out because they can't afford to kind of pursue a pursue a degree, an expensive degree. Um, and I know in the U.S. you have kind of some similar initiatives. So um, our colleague Galen Grunham, Uh, Recently, a really good article about how to hire and retain um, Black employees in the U.S., and he mentioned loads of really great organizations um, that work specifically with companies um, such as Code2040, uh, Digital Undivided, and Coding Black Females. I'm going to link
0: those articles down below. They're really great if you're looking for specific resources and specific organizations that can help you acquire um, more diverse talent. And importantly, these articles will also... Include some important measures about retaining the talent because once you've got the talent, that's important, but retaining them is just as important, and that really ties into cultivating that sense of belonging. So, retaining talent, it's obviously any company wants to do it, and I know some companies, I mean, especially tech companies, have specific measures um, in place to intentionally try and retain talent, you know, like making stock options, etc. But um, like I mentioned, that that idea of belonging is also important. On the topic of retaining talent, I know we mentioned that there's a huge, there's t- hundreds of thousands, something like that, I believe, of IT job openings. And there's just simply not enough talent to fill them. Um, and I know that you wrote a great article about reskilling and mentioning that you know, it's sure it's easy if you have an IT role to fill. Yeah, you can poach someone from a different company, but that doesn't actually create a new person who's qualified to do this job. So, I'm wondering if you can discuss the idea of reskilling, which I think is especially important when it comes to DNI measures and cultivating this feeling of belonging.
1: Yeah, that um, sense of belonging um, goes hand in hand with uh, retention, because studies have actually shown that. Employees from minority backgrounds are more likely to take a job which pays less money if the company um, feels more kind of welcoming and, um, to them rather than go for a job which may pay more, but actually the invite- the work environment might feel more hostile. Um, yeah. So yeah. That makes a lot of sense. That sense of cultivating that sense of belonging is integral to making sure your employees want to continue working for you. In terms of the skills gap, Um, Microsoft recently predicted that the UK would require, I think it was 1.9 million extra software developers by 2025. (laughs) That's a lot. That's a lot. And like you say, you can't just kind of conjure them out of nowhere. You can't just, yeah, you could poach 10 developers from another company, but then that company has to go out and find 10 developers. And by doing that, you're not solving the skills gap. You're just kind of Putting, kicking the problem into the long Yeah, bus, You
0: can't so poach 1.9 million people.
1: Exactly. Exactly. Um, so what a lot of companies have started to do, especially um, kind of as a, or started to think about as a result of the pandemic, especially companies that perhaps were traditional retail companies, but obviously uh, during lockdown in the UK retail has been shut for a lot of the year so a lot of these companies all their business has moved online so now mm-hmm. they might be thinking about okay well how do we continue to make our e-commerce side of the business successful we need to hire all these new tech employees so rather than kind of firing large te- like large groups of people or large teams that are already at the organization instead of kind of leaving people to find new jobs and getting rid of all that kind of knowledge and skill that these people have about the company they've worked for for sometimes decades a lot of organizations are now actually looking to reskill those employees and say yeah you might um, have worked <laughs> in our shop fronts but have you considered a career in cloud computing this is what it means this is what you could earn would you like to train and we'll provide you with the training and the skills and therefore yeah They're they're building talent rather than poaching talent. That's a
0: really interesting concept and certainly important, but I also would imagine that it can be quite intimidating to shift careers like that. So I really commend people who are willing to make this career shift. And similarly, I commend the companies that are willing to invest in their people. It's really important, obviously, to make sure that you're investing in your people. You're gonna have a happier workforce. You're gonna have people that wanna stay at your company and turnover is not cheap. But that um, does kind of also relate to this idea of you know coming back to work. What is wor- the workplace going to look like once the pandemic subsides and people are able to return to the office? And I know that there's been a really exciting, in some case- cases, push about remote work and how exciting it is for companies to be able to hire from, by the nature of r- remote work, a much more diverse talent pool. I mean, you can recruit in the entire country or the entire world if you want to. So you have a much better talent pool that is not only more diverse in background, diverse in education, and di- but also, you know, diverse in experience. So I'm wondering about how all of this kind of relates to the return to work and to hybrid work.
1: So there are kind of pre-pandemic, I should say, there were already um, some specific programs um, that exist um, to help women because the majority of the time it is women that do take career breaks they do take time sure. off they do take time out of the workplace to have children to raise families and also mm-hmm. just traditionally the burden of care even if it's not for children for perhaps parents or other relatives is kind of placed on women mm-hmm. so there are a kind of a lot of schemes and a lot of opportunities to um, help bring women back into the workplace after they've had a career break mm-hmm. but in terms of moving forward after the pandemic and this idea of the hybrid workforce it's exactly kind of what you've touched upon you can now open up your hiring pool like you say if you are committed to either having kind of remote or hybrid work and making making that kind of business model work you Mm -hmm. can hire people that perhaps don't live in big cities or don't live in the big city where your kind of hq is based or like you say live in a different country and again people that might not have traditionally been able to make it into the office five times a week people with disabilities again people with kind of childcare or other kind of uh, caring responsibilities i
0: wonder too just as we close out here the challenge that hybrid work is going to pose to some of these remote employees that perhaps were hired remotely onboarded remotely when some of their counterparts perhaps near a physical office location are going back to work. I would imagine that it would be easy to sometimes overlook the employees that you're not physically seeing every day for promotions, for raises, to take on new projects, because like I said, you're just not laying eyes on them all the time. And I think that this really importantly ties into diversity and inclusion, because like I mentioned, you're hiring from a much wider talent pool and you're able to, give to make your hiring process much more equitable because you can hire literally anyone
1: absolutely as much as kind of hybrid and remote work does open all these kind of doors and opportunities for lots of people you also have to be very mindful like you say of kind of how it progresses and how you actually like implement that kind of style of working to make sure it is a level playing field it is kind of an equitable workplace and that The person that is in the office kind of on the same days as the manager or that is kind of in the office more isn't kind of favoured or kind of looked upon looked upon more favourably than employees that were told yes absolutely you can work remotely that's your job you are a remote employee just because someone isn't physically present in the office doesn't mean they're not working as hard or they're doing their job as well and yeah I think companies are going to have to be really mindful of that because I do think it perhaps will become a new form of unconscious bias um that we haven't seen before necessarily because although companies do exist that have been doing hybrid and remote working long before the pandemic the amount of companies that will be doing it moving forward um is going to be unprecedented and um, mm-hmm. studies have actually kind of been done around this I think there was one I think it was about a decade ago now in China, where a company um, had um, employees physically in the office and employees working remotely. And they found that unfortunately the remote employees, their careers progressed at a lot slower rate than the employees that were physically in the office. So although we haven't kind of seen that bear out as um, a problem, I think it's definitely something that kind of managers and companies need to be very mindful of moving forward.
0: I think that's a great point and a really compelling point because even though in, I guess you can say that, yeah, I guess it would make sense that someone who's not being physically seen every day is going to be overlooked. That certainly does not mean that it is okay or that it is right. So it is really important that manage, managers are actively thinking about not only their employees that are in front of their faces every day, but also the ones that they have working from home or whatever co-working spaces near them. So thank you, Charlotte, so much for calling in and joining me. I think this was a really valuable discussion and I really appreciate it.
1: Thank you so much for having me, Julie. It's a topic I love to write about, love to talk about. So it was a real pleasure having this discussion with you. And to that end, we will have
0: some of your articles linked below, specifically about reskilling and hybrid work. And like I mentioned, we will also be linking below um, Galen's articles that we mentioned about attracting and retaining, specifically Black tech pros, um, really important stuff to learn. So please do feel free to check them out. And thank you all so much for watching this episode of Today in Tech. If you liked this video, be sure to give it a thumbs up and subscribe to our channel. Hit the bell icon in the corner so you're notified every single time we post a new video. If you have any questions or comments specifically around what your company is doing about diversity and inclusion and importantly belonging, please do leave them in the comments below. I'm really curious to see what companies are doing out there. Even if your company isn't a tech company, I think it's obviously equally as important. Thank you again for watching, and we'll see you next time. This podcast is produced by IDG Communications Incorporated.